0: Good morning, good afternoon. Hello, everyone. Um, This is the Be Data Lit Podcast. Um, I'm Alan Hillary and my awesome co-host, Sarah Nell Rodriguez. And we are here with, we have a doctor in the house. So if anyone needs a doctor, we've got a doctor in the house. (laughs) Uh, We have Dr. Brandeis Marshall. She is the author of Data Conscience. If you haven't picked up a copy of Data Conscience, you're going to be reminded multiple times to pick up that copy. It's a really awesome book. Um, It comes in swinging. You'll know why as we talk later. (laughs) And she's also the CEO of Data EDX, as well as a host of the Black Women's Data Summit. And, you know, without further ado, I just want to get um, Dr. Marshall on the mic.
1: Yes, I'm here. Let's go,
2: Alan. Let's go, Sarah. <laughs> I love this enthusiasm already. This is pretty fantastic. <laughs> also, yeah, the, we have a doctor in the house. You're our first doctor, really. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I, no, no, we did have two previous doctors, okay, didn't we? Okay, from Emory.
0: Yeah, and we had Doctor Moore. We had Doctor Andy Moore.
1: Okay. So. Okay. So I'm the, I'm like the third doctor. Okay. Third time's a charm. Let's like say Doctor that. Who. I mean, you don't disappear, though, at the end of this. Uh, no, no, not at all. No, 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 I'm I'm here to stay, most definitely. Yeah, yeah let's let's jump into it. What, what are we going to talk about today, y'all? <laughs> oh,
0: I mean, there's so much to talk to you about, but one of the main things we, we want to talk about, we definitely want to talk about your career journey, and we definitely want for you to kind of impart some wisdom because a lot of us out here in the data sphere, we want to write a book, or we see a lot of our colleagues uh-huh. writing books. And uh-huh. So we really want to know, what that's like. And and we know that you'll give us like the real tea behind it. So (laughs) that's why we're asking you this question. So definitely start off with telling us a little bit about yourself first though.
1: Okay. About myself. I mean, outside of the stuff you can Google, um, you can know a little bit about my journey. I started in computer science really because I saw computer science as just creative math (laughs) and I love math. I love numbers. I love just the fact that data comes in many different forms. So that started as a child, as I'm rolling coins, I'm dating myself. Yes, I rolled coins yes. with my mama on the floor, separating them out, making sure I count them up properly. My mother made sure I had a little bit of financial literacy. So that's how I started loving numbers. And then it just evolved over time as I started to think about what I wanted to do for my life. I wanted to make sure that I had a stable, transferable <laughs> type of skill. And at the time, it was computer science. No one really knew what it was, but everybody was like, that's the thing to do. And I looked at the job prospects in mathematics and I was like, mm, I'm not really liking this. So <laughs> I went to computer science and I've been a computer science person ever since. And really my tech jam is data. I love um, anything about modeling data, understanding how it is used, misused in particular. And it just is the entourage of the internet. The interwebs then became (laughs) how everyone was getting their information and their data. And then I started to really ask questions about, well, are these algorithms really producing the proper and correct and accurate content for people who look like me. And that answer was no. <laughs> and I continue to dig in to what these algorithms were doing.
2: So I, I like what you were just talking about. What, your, your nerdiness as a child. Also, I can relate to the rolling of coins. Also, the coins needed for laundry way back when. Don't miss those days. Okay. Um, right, right.
1: But really, it was for candy when I was a child. Like you had to get enough enough coins for the candy, right?
0: I didn't get, any, um. I didn't get anything for rolling coins. I just rolled them.
1: No, I didn't get anything, but anything left over, I kind of just like snagged a little bit in order to get my Snickers bar or the Skittles or whatever else I wanted. (laughs) Gotcha.
2: So, all right. So it started off like your love of math and you went into computer science and data for your education. Before we go into some of your professional details, like your book and everything that obviously we want to get into, can you, we like to... Have representation on our podcast for education too, because like I, I don't have a degree at all. So I like, I'd like to be upfront about my education and the path that I've taken. For your education, was it linear? Did you just go from graduating high school into college, then to get your doctorate? Or what does that part of your journey look like?
1: Oh, that part. See, that to me is always the boring part. I went directly from undergrad to grad school. Um, in undergrad, I was a, uh, an RA, if anyone's familiar with that, a resident advisor. And then I graduated college during the dot-com boom bust. And I had had internships at organizations while I was in college and realized, okay, this boom thing is, is not going to last forever. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm not going into corporate. I'm going back to school. And that's something that was instilled in me as a child was you know, education can't be taken away from you. So if you're going to start something, you might as well just go ahead and finish. And so I just decided to go from undergrad to grad school. So as soon as I hit grad school. That's when the dot-com busted. <laughs> and I'm in grad school making my measly $11,000 a year, but at least I was able to feed myself and have my own like little apartment. And then I got my master's on the way to the PhD. So I went directly from master's to PhD. So I was done with school, formal school, all in one fell shot. And then for some crazy reason, I decided to stay and be faculty. I never wanted to leave school. But no, really, I became faculty because of representation. I didn't see anyone like me. I never had a Black professor. Um, And then, of course, I saw the landscape of the potential jobs. Would I go corporate? Would I go research lab? Would I go nonprofit? And I had experiences in all of those and was not quite feeling any of them, <laughs> so I stayed I'm in academia. I liked doing some research. I liked teaching because I've been teaching even as a graduate student. So I was like, "Oh, this seems like something that's good and stable." You know, everyone's trying to get to that stable job. That's where I was, and it was like this is something I could do. Oh, well, yeah, this is good. You know, I earned earn that. Earn I get summers quote off. I can I can do this. And I'm adding to the professoriate as a faculty member, and then things changed. <laughs>
2: <And>, uh, <laughs> it sounds like everybody. a story. Like, like, yeah, it sounds like a dramatic. <laughs> uh,
0: once upon a time, and then all of a sudden,
1: <laughs> I'm plugging and chugging along as faculty, and then I know I hit professional abuse. Right? I mean, let me just be honest about it. It was professional abuse. A lot of folks talk about workplace trauma. And I really call it professional abuse, and it's for this reason. When it comes to work, the term workplace trauma seems to indicate the place itself that has the trauma in it or that the trauma is over. But that's not the case, at least for me and for a number of other Black women that I know. It is professional abuse where there is professionals, so people, who are being very intentional, and being retaliatory, and causing abuse continually. Um, So that's why I call it professional abuse. So then professional abuse happened, and then I decided to create my own side hustle as a way of my coping with the professional abuse, because I didn't feel like I could get out of the system of academia. I wasn't confident in getting out of that system or extracting myself out of that engine. So I created a side hustle and then the side hustle is growing and doing great. And that's why data edX group came to be and is thriving. That's the story that I'll tell. <laughs> you want to know all the tea, then you got to talk to me one-on-one.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I just want to comment that. Yeah. I think a lot of people go, some variations I don't want to try to say it's the same for everyone but everyone has a similar theme um when it comes to you know professional abuse or it comes to like transitioning to a side hustle or just evolving with your career because we all change as we progress and get you know get older and so a lot of times we are afraid because we are so used to a certain environment you know, and we're afraid that the new one may not necessarily, may bring even the same trauma. So like, why, just stay with the one we know kind of deal. But I think it's really great because, you know, your side hustles or what you're calling side hustles are, are really blowing up. Like we, you caught our attention with the Black Women Data Summit last year. Like we saw a lot of social media posts coming across and I was telling Sarah, like, we have to get her on, you know, we have to get her on. <laughs> Cause like she's doing and this. Here whole- we are. <laughs> yes. And here we are. But, um, one thing I also want to talk about is just like, you know, start talking a little bit more about the book. Cause it yeah. sounds like the transition from you going into the side hustle, which I'm just going to say main hustles are yeah. the book, but was birthed from
2: that.
1: Yes. Yes. So while I was in my evolution, I love that. Right. Hashtag, you know, Serena Williams evolution. Now I'm in my evolution. Um, of the faculty position, I, I, I got contacted about writing an ethics book because I had talked a lot online. I was on the bird app quite a bit. Um, talking about like ethical issues and just that cross section between, you know, social, political, economic, and computational challenges that are within AI and data systems. So that was where I was like venting and very snarky. So he can go back to 20, you know, eighteen twenty. 19. You'll see a lot of that, like what is going on. And I got reached out in order to write um, a book on ethics. And I started writing the book and the publisher had a read through of the book, gave the book, gave portions of the book. I think I had written maybe two or three chapters and um, wrote and, and that person provided feedback. And it was very clear that it was not a good match. So that publisher and I wind up he wind up I wind up getting fired <laughs> for writing the book. It wasn't in the right voice for the publisher. Yada yada yada. I was told words. Whatever those I don't remember the words, they were words. And I was just like, WTF. <laughs> what, what what do you right. mean? I'm you don't want me to write this book. Um in in hindsight, they really wanted a book that was prescriptive about ethics. And I was coming in with the direct corollary to that saying there is not a direct prescription. There is some guidance of like questions and we need to talk about the history. We need to build in not just the technical aspects of ethics, but we need to bring in all those other aspects, the historical, the cultural, the social, the economic, the political um, aspects. And um, that's not what they were looking for. So, Um, I was sad for a little bit and then got linked up with um, the current publisher of the book and they loved the proposal um, that I gave. And by this point I had evolved from the book that I was trying to force myself to write for the other publisher. I had now gotten more confidence in myself in order to go like, no, the book really needs to start with oppression,
0: <laughs> and, did you initially feel discouraged? Like when you you know you're working for publisher the first time around and you got you know you didn't it didn't work out. Did you feel discouraged? Did it make you almost stop writing the book?
1: Yes, I was not pleased because I was like, how could they fire me from writing a book about ethics when
2: I know all the things they didn't like what you were saying, and, and so
1: exactly, Sarah.
2: Yeah. Like what I was saying. And I was
1: like, oh, they don't want it. They want the brown face, but they don't want the brown voice. Okay. I need that. Yeah. No, 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 so no.
2: That This makes so much more sense now because I was, I was curious. I, I was going out to Google, looking up your book and everything and all the things people are saying about it. And then um, the description of your book, I what your story now just lends so much more uh just that backstory to it because it says that you deliver a call to action for rebel tech leaders. Yes. This book is you being a rebel tech leader.
1: Yes, because I was pissed the F off. Wow. <laughs> I was like you're firing me for writing a book about ethics and I'm like one of the, like the five people that actually have melanin that can talk about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, all right, let me just do the things know. now. So, okay. So, I'm going to start where y'all didn't want me to start. <laughs> Which yeah, is with just, <laughs> yeah. the racism. I'm starting with the racism. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a lot about what you're talking about, it's kind of like Sarah and I in some flavors. It's like, you know, when a lot there's a lot of narrative about data or like how data format should be and like even with Be Data Lit, we try to be a little bit more inclusive. Like we're not a data tips and tricks, which is nothing wrong with that. But I just feel like we needed to kind of like you, needed to just speak about what you felt was important to speak about. So I just applaud you for that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, that's what, that's, that was the whole like motivation. I was ticked off and I couldn't believe I didn't get paid for any of those three chapters that I had written. I put so much time into it.
2: Oh, they it, didn't even pay you, for no. you. So you had three <laughs> chapters in and they're just like, no, they
1: didn't like the direction it was going. It was taking too long. We were in the middle of a pandemic. We were in a pandemic by this point, mind you. Wow. It wasn't like this was happening. This was, yes. <laughs> well,
2: this just to follow up on what Alan said too, like we started Be Data Lit because we were recognizing how few voices are out there that need to be heard. It's not just this uh, classic nuclear family yeah. from middle America uh, goes through school, goes, gets their degree, gets their job at the big tech or manufacturing firm, and in five years is VP. Right who's i mean there are stories like that we know they are but that is not the stories we want to represent <laughs> on B data lit
1: exactly and that's not the common story either right no. and so i think that's the issue is that many people try to act like getting going to school getting the degree going to the big tech firm is what the big get is and i directly indicate that no, that's not what everybody wants. In fact, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be at the big tech corporation because I thought it was too big. I'm from Akron, Ohio. Everybody knows Akron, Ohio because of LeBron James. But before then, no one knew what Akron, Ohio was. They were like, is that a place? <laughs>
0: Isn't the baseball Hall of Fame there as well?
1: <laughs> um, the football Hall of Fame is in Canton. Um, uh, right. Exa- exactly.
2: We, we I, actually, know. I know where the baseball <laughs> hall of fame is. This is one of my few sports knowledge tips here. It's in Cooperstown, New York. Oh, that's
0: right. It's closer to right. my house. 12
2: year old Sarah went yeah. there one year,
1: one year, one year, 12 year old Sarah went there. So yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing is, you know, I didn't want the big corporation. I wanted a more inviting an intimate type of space for my workplace
2: all right knowing all this now if we were to open your book knowing the backstory yep here we are readers getting into it what are we gonna get with chapter one
1: you're gonna get i mean sucker punched i think
2: we
0: do
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna get sucker punched because i don't start out with data I actually start out with humanity. Even though the total book title is Data Conscience, Algorithmic Siege on Our Humanity, people expect the book to be about data, and it is, but it's data in all of its dimensions, which means I start with the human first. So I start from a Western, Black American, woman perspective. I lean completely into who I was, and that's what's missing in a lot of tech books, So that's what I decided to start with. And so I start with oppression by, because I want to talk about how oppressions happen in science and the law prior to tech.
0: You know, and then also, I mean, yeah, I definitely... Remember opening your book and I had this frame of mind, like, oh, it's going to be a data book. So let me just get rested up a little bit. But it wasn't like that. And I was, you know, it kind of read like a story. But one thing I just want to also quickly comment on what you're sharing is like having this in the data sphere now allows other people who may not feel that data is for them. Because, you know, we talk about it, Sarah and I, and then we're talking about it now. A lot of these experiences are not shared, so it's hard for a lot of people to relate. I mean, we're all wired differently. Some people may overcome or be fine with not necess- being the only one, but a lot of people aren't. And right. so I think that this book and other work that's coming out is really helping other people see you know, from a gender perspective, racial, ethnic perspective, even from a professional career perspective, that they can be a part of data. So,
1: oh yeah. And one of the things I was very intentional about was talking through the history of how technology reinvented what was happening in society, at least in America. I thought that was very important So that when you start to read the other parts of the book, it's not a surprise. Like, oh, didn't we see something like this in chapter one or chapter two? Um, This seems to be like history repeating itself. This just is an iteration of what we've seen before. That was the point. It was very intentional. And the second thing that was very intentional for me was to reference and cite people who were non-white cis males. (laughs) Like... I was scrounging for references and to do citations of people who were women, LGBTQ+, you know, um, indigenous or Native American folks, um, Asian folks, just- The history of tech is incredibly whitewashed. Incredibly. And how do we just, I just intentionally was like, I've got to find a Black person for this. I got to find someone who is an LGBTQ+, outwardly that will say some of these things because tech makes it seem as though you have to be in some certain mold. And because of, as you said, Sarah, (laughs) to describe my book as rebel tech leaders. Like you have to go against the grain tech is always about quote innovation, but who is innovating all looks the same. same. That doesn't make no kind of sense.
2: We have a story on uh, our website on be data lit. It was interesting. I was watching, there is a gay history show mm. on TV, and it was going through the whitewashing of gay history too, and just removing a lot of people who were historically LGBTQ from it. And one of those stories that came across it, and I never knew it, and it directly correlated to a lot of conversations I have in tech was the story of Lynn Conway, And we hear about the role of Intel in microprocessors and all the men who were involved in that, white men, by the way. Right, right. but Lynn Conway is the person who started all that and the reason Lynn Conway is someone you never hear about cuz she was transgender mm. back in the 60s mm. and she was fired and this is a story that we wrote out on the website and it's one that stays with me because like we're here our computers are here we are talking right via a computer because of people like Lynn Exactly.
1: Or like GPS systems, the pioneer of GPS systems and all of the outlay of satellites was Dr. You know, Gladys West. And people don't really speak about her, right? She was not a doctor back when she was creating this beautiful grid of satellites that was the, you know, foundation of GPS, right? She was a mom and a wife and she was working for the government. She didn't get her PhD until a few years ago you know, while she's in her 80s, right? But I still say Dr. (laughs) Gladys West, right? Because she more than earned that title, right? So yeah, there's just a lot of people and a lot of contributions that have been completely whitewashed. And I thought it was important. If I'm gonna write a book about data consciousness, I need to be conscious about who I'm referencing. And yes, I do reference white cis men, but i make sure that i give all the flavors as much as i could because that's not what is promoted in curriculum at any level of education that's not what's shared on in media that's not what is discussed around the water cooler that's not what's happening inside of scientific conferences so my goal is to have this book
2: as standard required text I think that's really powerful, though, and I think people need to hear that. They need to know that there are people out there who don't look like the people leading us when we're at work, and I think that's something that needs to be heard. Um, We have a few minutes left, and Alan and I were having an interesting discussion we'd like to put past you.
1: Okay, let's go. (laughs) <laughs> what, 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 what
0: happened so <laughs> yeah it's a few industry topics but the first industry topic that a lot of times we hear is failing fast is it failing fast that's what we were talking about so we hear a lot about failing fast or building the airplane while we're flying and we just want to hear your opinion do you feel everyone demographically has the opportunity to fail let alone fast or slow. <laughs> do we have, do we have, does everyone have the opportunity to fail? Do
2: the ability fail? to fail equal? No. Short answer,
1: no. Absolutely yeah. not. Because the amount of unpaid work that I'm asked to do is disproportionate to the unpaid work that Alan's asked to do as a black man, as you're asked to do as a white woman, Sarah. It's, it's just not equal. Because I'm a, it's assumed that I'm going to do the work, because that's how the society was built. The society was built for Black people in order to be the makers of things, but never the owners of the things.
0: I mean, I know an industry, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. You've seen, you know, a lot of times in the corporate world, you see a lot of people who are vice presidents, so they're senior general managers. And- oh, yeah the and the division doesn't do too well, doesn't perform well, but right. the leader is allowed to be promoted um and so and you know, and we know that demographically most executives come from a certain they're white they're used to white males and so it's right. like right. I feel as an individual I can't speak for everyone, but I can definitely speak for a few you know a few that you know we're afraid I'm afraid to fail. I mean for a long time, I suffered from perfectionism i'm a I'm a recovering perfectionist now, yeah, but, me too. <laughs> it's just like I'm learning that what is that phrase done is better than perfect. I mean, I yep. used to cringe when I said it. Now I'm getting more comfortable with it. Yeah, But yeah, I don't feel like everyone has the opportunity to fail. I don't. And then sometimes, Oh, we were given, like I hear people talk about interviews. We were given the opportunity to fail. I cringe because I, I never felt like I was given that opportunity.
1: No, because when it comes to failure, at least in my experience It's always tied to economics. And so if I fail, that means I don't eat. So the stakes are higher. Or if I fail, then I'll be unable to do something else for somebody else. Right. So if I don't succeed, then I'll be unable to pay this other person who's dependent upon me of getting paid. So then they get paid. Yeah. So there is this um, binding aspect when it comes to failure. And that's what has been conditioned to a lot of, I know, black people. Yeah. Because there has been no generational wealth, right? So even the notion of writing a book is something that might not be in anybody's mind because who do you have to look at that wrote a book and it was successful and if it flopped it was okay because they could go ahead and write another one. When it comes to tech in particular, I always say people you know get promoted <laughs> based upon their ability to appease those that are their supervisors, not because they're actually good at their job.
2: Uh, I I think some people get promoted on their ability to bullshit really well. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and if you're a good worker, you're going to stay in the position that you're at because no one can replace you. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that, that is, and that is the reality. And what happens, black people are told you got to work twice as hard to be, you know, got to work twice as hard. You got to be, got to work twice as hard. Got to work twice as hard. Well, okay. We work very, 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 very hard. And then we're not promoted. Yeah. Like, what sense uh, does that make?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've seen so many people before me, you know, who were Black and just, like, they know the office in and out, but yet they're not in a place of leadership. You know, you see it with women as well. And yeah. I just want to add to what you were saying is that I feel as a person of color or even a woman, especially when it comes to jobs and industry, a lot of times we're the first or the few. And so, like... If we fail, we feel like we're failing our whole community, our whole demographic. And right. so I think that's the other thing, too, where we don't feel comfortable failing. Because right.
1: And that's all internalized white supremacy.
0: Yeah. You kind <laughs> of. So, no, I don't mean to lie. It's <laughs> like you just put it out there. But, you know, a lot of people will say other things. But, you know, yeah, it comes down to that because you do feel that way. It's like, OK, this company just gave me an opportunity to work here. I don't want to mess it up for everyone else behind me. Right. And
1: that that again is internalized white supremacy. Mm -hmm. They should be grateful to have us because they know that we are going to work and do an excellent job. They already know that. That's why they hired us. And they're going to Pimp us out. They're going to put us on the website. They're going to have us part of some ERG group, and we're going to be leading the charge for the recruiting team. We're um, and helping the HR get more people like us into the organization. We're going to talk up the organization. We do all these things because we're quote grateful,
2: and not because you actually deserve that promotion exactly. Which-
1: and that's what that's the thing. We deserve all the things because we're dope yeah. And, and what should be front and center is our expertise. That's the get, right? The get is our expertise and the bonus is the fact that we happen to be black or a black woman, but There's instead fun. it gets reversed. And so we feel like we need to give and give and give and give. Yeah. I had a whole conversation with a group of people about their professional bio and I was like, take out all the mentoring crap. Take it all out because they already know that you're going to mentor people. Like, stop it. Take all of that stuff out. Like, <laughs> look at my. I was like, look at my professional bio. Does it say anything about mentoring? I was like, you don't even know I'm an alpha. I'm, a, I'm an AKA. They just kind of looked at me. I was like, you don't even know. I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. You don't even know that from my first. Get that mess out of there. Talk about what you got paid to do in your professional bio. Don't be talking about the volunteer shit. <laughs>
0: Stop it. Oh, i <laughs> a friend of the podcast very quickly. <laughs>
2: do you want to set up your second episode now?
0: Um, <laughs> we can do it live. So everyone can looking know.
2: <laughs> they
1: can see my, all of my uh,
2: mannerisms and my passion come through. Yeah. I have to say though, that um, there are, because it's Black History Week, you know everything comes out, or Black History Month, Um, everything always comes out. All the articles and everything are reposted and everything. Um, And there is one that, it was actually posted a few months ago, but it was recirculating again about the demographic of Black women and how educated they are and yet how few lead. Yeah. And it just made me think of that the whole time you were talking about that because it is, it's like, Why should you have to fight for something you deserve? It just,
0: you shouldn't have to do
2: double the work. You shouldn't have to feel like you have to compromise who you are or that you have to be anything other than qualified. Like,
1: but qualified is mediocre white man. And white, I mean white and Asian in tech. So let's be clear. Let's be clear about what, what I mean because most people just think white men and i I say white men but it's white and asian men right because there's a lot of um anti-blackness and internalized white supremacy um in many other non-black cultures and we don't talk about that
0: maybe we got to get you back to talk about it
1: (laughs) i'll talk about it i'm not sure people want to listen to it but i'll talk about it (laughs) (laughs) i've had some run-ins with some asian men whoo my entire career Oh, wow. My entire career, I've had run-ins. They will not listen to me. I had, so quick story. I had a graduate student, he was a master's student, and he didn't like to write, but he was a master's student. So he was trying to get me to write his master's thesis. So I literally had to tell him, like, I've got the degrees. You're the one that's trying to get the degree. I'm not writing this for you. Yes, you're great with experimentation. Yes, you're great with experimental design, but you're going to need to write the thing. So he left me. So I so he le- yes, he actually I, w- I was no longer his advisor, his research advisor, because I told him I was not going to write it for him.
0: Wow. And that's an expectation he would not have had of anyone else to do.
1: No, and I'm the professor. I am the doctorate. He is the master student and he was trying to get me to do his. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Every every single term.
2: I feel like the only topic we didn't talk about today was religion.
1: Maybe that's for next time.
0: <laughs> and, and we this one more question? We definitely, well, I would definitely love to get your industry opinion and all the layoffs that are happening. Sarah and I had another conversation, and Sarah kind of labeled it really good. She calls it Netflix and chilling. So companies are Netflix and chilling on their employees before the layoffs that we're seeing out here. What- I
2: feel like I need to interject here to explain what I meant by companies, Netflix <laughs> and chilling. <laughs> Well, please do. It's like relationships. You know, if you're Netflix and chill, you don't want the long-term marriage or anything. <laughs> you you know? just
1: want a little, Here a, you a are. little
2: hookup. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like all these companies are in it for the Netflix and chill, and you're in it for the long-term, thinking like Beyonce put a ring on it. But <laughs> no, they're not putting a ring on it at all. And so... And they're kind of low
0: key promising the marriage. You know, they kind of promise
1: it.
2: Maybe I'm going to taunt you, tell you, all right, you're good enough to hire for now. Maybe we'll extend you something in the long term.
1: It's it is okay. Here's my take: these tech layoffs are all a mirage. It's really about organizational culture shift. They what happened with COVID was that companies laid off people, and people started to realize that companies don't
2: give a two sheets to the wind about them. Oh, I so, could say you can swear on our podcast. Oh, okay.
1: So they don't give two shits. Okay. And people were just like, oh, really? Okay. That's how we doing this? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, okay, well I'm gonna shift then. I'm going to do what I'm going to do and give you whatever you say. And, but I'm going to still do what I'm going to do as an employee. Right. So, and we come back in the office, the whole return to work debacle that happened, whatever, last year. Companies wanted people back in the office to reinsert that conditioning. But people were like, no, 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 I'm cool. I'll stay at home and work. Pay me while I'm at home. I don't need to come into your office. Companies didn't like that. So what are they doing now? They're exerting their economic gear in order to get people back in line, in order to not ask for the things that they know that can be done. You can now work from home as a tech person. You can now thrive in your personal life, in your professional life, because people got promoted. Um, They overhired anyway in the tech industry during COVID. So they did a whole bunch of bloat. So it is really just a way in order to reorient people to white supremacy. That's all this is about. It has nothing to do with recession. It got nothing to do With anything else that they're talking about, it's all to do with trying to reassert their control over people in order to get them to fall back in line and be good tech robot workers.
2: Period. the end. (laughs) I feel like you you brought us to a natural conclusion because this started off as you being the tech rebel and writing a whole book about how to be a tech rebel. And now here we are at the end.
1: At the end. I said what I said. People can tell me something else. I'll be like, no, 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 no. Because all they're going to do is fire the people that were causing the most disruption in order to hire people that are lower pay Mm -hmm. and um, more dependent upon that check. So they're going
2: to be more complicit and compliant. On that note, this is our eighth episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see the stats behind this one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And join us next time for the ninth episode with Dr. Marshall.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we made us have to make an honorary call. (laughs) (laughs) segment on segment on each uh, each episode. Industry tea (laughs) with (laughs) Dr. Marshall.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us today um, for all this scintillating conversation and um, just your perspective too. And thank you, Alan, for always being my co-host. For our listeners, you know where to find us. We are on Twitter, but we are mostly on LinkedIn these days for good reason. So check out Be Data Lit on LinkedIn and BeDataLit.com. So stay tuned and thank you for joining us, listeners. We'll see you you soon.